You are listening to the 66 Podcast, a podcast in which we survey the Bible one book at a time. I'm Drew Kaiser, and I have Andrew Kingsley with me, and we are on TV today. Yes, we are. We're trying this new app, Meerkat. And if you're listening and not watching, this is a live app that uh, works through Twitter, right? Yeah. So... um, what we're going to do, and this may be the only time we ever do it, but we thought, you know, while we got the mic on, we might as well turn the video on and record ourselves, just because we're so interesting. (laughs) Do something to make us even more self-conscious than maybe we were before. Yeah, if if we could do this without being able to, maybe we could turn the camera around next time where I can't see myself, and I would have more confidence I'm going to have a hard time not glancing at this thing the entire time. (laughs) Trying to keep my focus on the desk. Basically, if you're interested in it next time and you're just listening to the podcast, when we do it live, and I wish we could tell you when we do these things. Yeah. I wish, you know, I could say, you know, it's every Tuesday at such and such time, but it's never going to work that way. Mm -hmm. Just follow us on Twitter. The handle is the66podcast. And uh, there will be a tweet out there while we're live. And yep. That's about the only way that you're going to be able to tell. I think you can chat on this thing. I don't know if we'll respond to that or not. Maybe some questions come up. We might yeah. do it. But um, pretty much we're just going to go like usual through our material so we can meet our goal of surveying every book of the Bible. And we're in the book of John which is a real challenge. And last week we tried to do two chapters at a time. It was very difficult. Did not succeed. We're going to just stick to one chapter at a time, I guess. But let me remind you of our overall outline for the book of John. We're going to we started with the prologue, which is John chapter 1 verses 1 through 18. And then we get into this big section of John which we're calling the public ministry chapter 1, verse 19, through the end of chapter 12. That's followed by Jesus' private ministry, John uh, 13 through uh, 17. And then Jesus' passion ministry, John 18 through 20. And then the postscript, to keep it with the Ps, but it's an epilogue. Mm -hmm. And that's John 21. Uh, So, let's keep in mind also the theme of the book of John as it is recorded in John chapter 20, verses 30 and 31, that these are written so that you may believe and that by believing you may have life through my name. So, all of these things that we're reading about in the book of John are designed to create belief in those who are reading. That's what this is all about. Now, we're ready for John chapter 6. So far, we have encountered, help me out, Andrew, because I always forget, three signs. Three yes. signs. We're not quite halfway through. After today, we will be past the halfway mark mm-hmm. of the seven signs of the book of John, because today we're going to see the feeding of the 5,000, the mm-hmm. only sign recorded in all four gospel accounts, and we're going to see yep. Jesus walking on the water. And so... Uh, that's uh that's what we're going to cover today, John chapter 6, a really lengthy chapter, and this is one of these that we're not going to uh, you know, read every single verse, but we begin with our reading in John chapter 6, uh, verse 1, and I, I, want, I want you to notice that Jesus is going away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, which is also called the Sea of Tiberias, and I believe 
If you visit Palestine today, that body of water will still be called the Sea of Tiberias. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are a lot of names for it used throughout the Bible, but the Sea of Tiberias is a present-day name. Uh, sea of Galilee is most familiar to Bible students. Now, why is he going over there? John doesn't say a whole lot about it because he assumes we've already read Matthew, Mark, and Luke. But uh, mm-hmm. there is a hint when he's speaking of John in chapter 5, John the Baptist, in chapter 5, verse 35, he's speaking of him in the past tense. And he says, He was a burning and shining light lamp, and you were willing to rejoice for a while in his light. So speaking of John in the past tense suggests John's dead. And that is exactly what we learn from Matthew uh, in Matthew 14, we read about his beheading at the request of Herodias, the unlawful wife of Herod Antipas. Uh, Herod Antipas was in charge of this territory of Galilee, and uh, he did not like John preaching against his wife. John would say, it is unlawful for you to have her. And so at the request of Herodias or her daughter uh, Herod had John beheaded. And I won't go into much more detail because it's more of a Matthew thing than John. John doesn't dwell on it, but he tells us that Jesus is going away to a more secluded area in Galilee on the mm-hmm. eastern side of the banks of the Sea of Galilee. And this is the reason why, as revealed from Matthew and others. So he's very popular up here in Galilee, though, and the crowd somehow know where he's going and they follow him because they had seen the signs that he had performed on the sick. So he goes up to the mountain, and he sits down with his disciples. And in verse 4, we read that it's Passover time again. Now, this could be the second reference to Passover, or it may be the third reference to Passover. We're not sure about the feast in John 5, what it was all about, whether it was the Passover feast or some other Passover feast. We talked about that a little bit. And uh, we are not sure. I I tend to think that we're looking, because there's so many things that are going to happen after this, I tend to think that we're not looking at the third Passover feast. We're looking at the second. But whichever one it is, it marks the year of his ministry. He had three total years. If this was the third Passover feast, Jesus is in his third year. And he performs the fourth sign recorded in the book of John, which is recorded in verse 4 and following. Uh, he lifts up his eyes and he sees a large crowd coming towards him. And, and he turns to Philip. And this is something I like in John. He reveals the personalities of some of the disciples that you don't learn a whole lot about in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Uh, you read a lot about Peter in those books. You read a lot about James and John. But you don't hear a lot about others that are revealed in the book of John, like Philip and Thomas and Andrew And we're going to see a little glimpse into the personalities of Philip and Andrew in this um, gospel, in this um, miraculous account. Yeah. Uh, By the way, did I mention that this is the only miracle recorded in all four gospel accounts? Mm -hmm. You mentioned that at the very start. I think this and the resurrection, if you want to count that one, I guess. Well, but I guess that counts. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So this and the resurrection. All right. So um, he turns to Philip, and he says. And Jesus knows what he's going to do. But he says, where are we going to buy bread so that these people may eat? 
and John even says he said this to test him for himself knew what he would do. Philip answered, 200 denarii would not buy enough bread for each of them to get a little. A denarius was a day's wages. Mm -hmm. So he's saying you'd have to work two-thirds of a year to get enough money to buy bread for this whole crowd. I actually did a little math on this. Yeah? And looked up the average uh, yearly pay for somebody in Jefferson County, Alabama, which is where we sit right now. Yeah. And based on that, 200 days wages would be $24,000 or $24,791.23. Okay. So based on the average income here, we're talking about not even 20 almost 25 grand is basically in our terms for where we are now. Yeah, that Matthew tells us a little bit. that there are 5,000 men not counting women and children. Mm-hmm. Um, I was talking to my son about this just the other day for some reason he brought it up. Mm-hmm. And I think he was trying to show off his knowledge of the Bible. And he said, uh, it was just 5,000 men. And he said, hey, Dad, how much is 5,000 plus 5,000? Mm-hmm. I said, 10,000. He said, okay, so there were 10,000 men and women. And then I mm-hmm. said, how many, there's a doorbell ringing. <laughs> I, he said, how many children? I said, there's probably at least 5,000 children there too, right? And he said, no. Uh, two. Mm-hmm. So, according to my son's calculations, there would have been 10,002 people there. Ah. Uh, I think probably more. Well, he's Just a smart guy, guessing. so it might have been 10,002. I don't know what's going on where there's only two children in this crowd of 10,000, but mm-hmm. uh, just two. So, um, where were we? Uh, the doorbell rang. Yeah, I'm not used to this video. We're thing. just in okay. verse 7 where Philip says 200 denarii. Okay, denarii. so, uh, you know, Philip does what a lot of us would do. You know, he's really, you know, we look at Philip sometimes as dense because of some of the things that he says. But he really said what most of us would say in this yeah. situation, which is, we don't, there's no money to buy bread for all these people. That's crazy. So, um, he, he, uh, Andrew appears, Yeah. verse 8. And uh, this is Simon Peter's brother, and he says, There is a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what are they for so many? So there's a little glimpse into Andrew's personality as well. Mm-hmm. Every time you see Andrew in the book of John, he's bringing people to Jesus. Uh, John 1, he's bringing Peter to Jesus. Mm-hmm. John 6, he's bringing this boy to Jesus. And John 12, he's bringing some Greeks to Jesus. So yeah. he's doing that, and that's something that you see about Andrew. That's probably going to pop up in our ap- application section. But then he's pessimistic too. He says, what are they for so many? So Jesus, you know, he's done testing the disciples. He said, make them sit down. There was uh, much grass in the place, so the men sat down, about 5,000 in number. Jesus then took the loaves, and when he had given thanks... He distributed them to those who were seated, so also the fish as much as they wanted. And when they had eaten their fill, he told his disciples, Gather up the leftover fragments, that nothing may be lost. So they gathered them up and filled twelve baskets with fragments from the five barley loaves left by those who had eaten. When the people saw the sign that he had done, they said, This is indeed the prophet who has come into the world. Perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force to make him a king... Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. 
So there we have the fourth sign, and we have a lot to say about that when we get into our think and apply sections of the podcast. Now we get into the fifth sign, and that begins verse 16. You know that Jesus is close to John the Baptist. He's learned about his death. He's trying to retreat to deal with this. And uh, so he tells his disciples to get into the boat and go to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, meaning Capernaum, the busy side. Yeah. He wants to stay in this desolate place and pray and grieve. And so he sends them away. Matthew uses forcible terms. Uh, I had it in my notes here, but I've gotten ahead of myself. Matthew says that they were forced to get into the boat. Immediately he made the disciples get into the boat and go before him on the other side while he dismissed the crowds. So made the disciples get in, dismissed the crowds. Those are all forcible terms um, suggesting, you know, they didn't have an option anymore. He was yeah. he needed this time. This is the human side of Jesus yeah. showing up. Especially considering what's coming. What we're going to get to in the next, I mean, the very next section, starting in verse right. 22. Yeah. he knows all that's coming. So he's going to need a minute. You guys going ahead? I'm going to try and get rid of the crowds for a little while because I know they're coming back. Because they're going to be wanting more food or they're going to be, um, well, I guess I guess we'll wait till we get to that. Yeah. Well, in verse 18, something happens that I'm told happens a lot in the Sea of Galilee. Uh, the lake became rough because of a strong wind blowing. And when they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the lake and coming near the boat, and they were frightened. Now, what I meant was the storm, not a man walking on the water. That that yeah. happens a lot on the Sea of Galilee. Okay. Because of the topography around it, I'm told that there's something about the way that the sea is below sea level and the hills rise up around it, that the winds are kind of forced into this tunnel and uh, cause these sudden storms to come up. Mm -hmm. And they saw Jesus, I think it's Mark that says that they thought he was a ghost. But he says, do not be afraid. Yeah, that's right. It is I. And they were glad to take him into the boat, and immediately the boat was at the land to which they were going. Uh, the dis- the other synoptic gospels focus on Jesus' power over nature in the sign. John focuses on his ability to get them to safety quickly, and I don't know if there's anything to that, but there is a difference in the emphasis when you compare the gospel accounts. Yeah, on this, something on this little that I think is interesting. We've talked about there have been a few like uh, Hebrew. Isms or Hebraisms is the correct term, but mm-hmm. a few things that look like Hebrew here. And the statement right there in verse 19, it wrote about three or four miles. That's kind of a Hebrew thing. Mm-hmm. You know, about this or about that. And then in chapter 2 with the wedding at Cana, it was those jars holding 20 or 30 gallons. You know, those are kind of, mm-hmm. that's kind of a Hebrew thing to say it's about this or they've gone about that far, about this many days had gone by. Mm-hmm. Whereas, you know, I think now we're a little more, you know, they had gone exactly. 3.4 miles, you know, at this well, I think it de- Well, about. I think it depends on what kind of literature you're reading, mm-hmm. you know. Um, a journal entry or somebody telling the story yeah. casually would do the same thing, mm-hmm. I think. 
But in a novel or technical document, definitely, a scientific document, yeah. we'd be very precise. And that, you know, is owed, I think, in part to, you know, their means of measuring things. Yeah. I mean, what, they didn't have GPS. Yeah, he might not have known. How, you know, how are they going to know how many miles they went? They, mm-hmm. they, were, they were fishermen, so they had a pretty good idea. Yeah. Now, with this next lengthiest part of the chapter, I'm going to save some of the details for the next section. Okay. And I'm going to stick to my notes so I can survey it pretty quickly. But first, I want to point out that this is the first appearance of an I am statement of the Lord. Right. Now, we're moving. We've now covered um, five signs, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, five signs. I, don't, yes. I have the hardest time <laughs> keeping track of these. So we've only got two more left. Yeah, that's why. We're so early into the book and we only have two left. But now we're starting on the seven I am statements of Jesus. And the first one, the first time it appears is verse 35. I am the bread of life. And it comes up because the crowds mention how Moses gave bread from heaven. And uh, they're still reflecting back on his feeding the 5,000 or the 15,000, however many there were, with 12 basketfuls left over. And that's the basis of it. And it's structured very neatly, and I had not realized that till this morning. But in verses 22 through 40, he he announces that he is the bread of life to the crowd. Mm -hmm. Then in verses 41 through... 59, he makes that announcement to the Jews. Now, of course, Mm -hmm. the crowd is Jewish as well, but John calls them the Jews in verse 41, referring to the critical group of the Jews who did not follow him. And so he addresses their challenges. And then in verses 60 to the end of the chapter, he announces this to his disciples. Mm-hmm. So you have three perspectives on his announcement and the reaction to the announcement. And I thought that was interesting to see how the chapter was divided up that way. Yeah. Now, just to survey it, because there is a lot of repetition since he's doing this doing this so many times. Um, notice that the crowd has followed him. You know, remember, he sent the disciples to get into the boat to go to Capernaum. Then he walks out to them after he's had his prayer time in the desolate area, and they're all back over at Capernaum, and the crowds found him over there. And uh, he says to them, you don't want signs, you're just there for the food. And he gives them this instruction in verse 27. Labor for the food that perishes. He's talking about physical food. But for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. So he tells them... I read that wrong. He told them not to labor for the physical food, but labor for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. And so they ask him about that kind of labor. Is he talking about plowing fields, tilling land? What is he talking about? And he says that believing is the labor. So Mm -hmm. this is the work of God that you believe in him whom he has sent. Verse 29. And then he uses the previous miracle as kind of a springboard for truth, or a living parable, as John Stott calls it, and says that he is the bread of life, and makes that I am statement that I'm talking about. I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me 
shall never thirst. Uh, it gets more graphic in verses 53 through 55. Listen to how he puts it there. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. Now, I want to talk a lot about what that means when we get into the next section of the of the podcast. But for now, that's basically what he says. And um, they have a hard time with it. Mm-hmm. If you go down to the disciples section, in verse 60, they say... Um, this is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? And they start grumbling. The disciples start grumbling. And don't take that to mean the 12 disciples, but mm-hmm. a general group of people who have been following him. They start grumbling, and he and he says, you know, this is why I told you, that no one can come to me unless it's granted to him by the Father. And after this, verse 66 says, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. And so he turns to the twelve, and that's why I can distinguish the larger group of the disciples from the twelve apostles. Mm-hmm. In verse 67, he turns to the twelve and says, do you want to go away as well? And then in verse 68, Peter makes this great statement. He says, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life, and we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. And uh, it ends with this enigmatic statement. We now understand. Mm-hmm. Did I not choose you, the twelve? And yet one of you is a devil. And John says he spoke of Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, for he, one of the twelve, was going to betray him. You know Peter's got to be thinking he's talking about him. Cause Peter, you think so? Well, I mean, I'm just thinking, like, if if it were me, and I had said, well, where else can we go? And he said, well, did I not choose you guys, and one of you is a devil? I mean, he's the one that just spoke. And so Peter's probably thinking, uh... Because he was definitely expecting... Knowing what we know about Peter, he he, he probably definitely was expecting a compliment. Mm -hmm. And I think he got a compliment in, you know, did I not choose you, the twelve? Okay, yeah, maybe it was more like a... So I would would think that he said that with a smile on his face, but then he remembered, well, one of you... Is a devil. Okay, saying, yeah, I chose you guys for this reason, but one of you is a devil. I was just kind of thinking, it was like, did I not choose you guys myself? And, and yeah, one of you is. So, yeah, yeah. I, I think your interpretation of it is a little bit better. Yeah, I, I do That's too. Fine. Yeah. All right. Okay, we're going to take a break from the podcast. If you're yeah. watching, we, we've got some viewers got far, far more than, than I expected, and I don't know what that means. But uh, we're going to take a break from the podcast. When we come back, we're going to think a little more deeply about some of these things. So stay with us. We're back uh, for the second part of our podcast, and if you're joining us for the first time, we divide the podcast up into three sections, read, think, and apply, and we're in the Mm -hmm. think section, and uh, again, 
uh, we're on Meerkat. Uh, if you want to join us live, you can watch the 66 podcast handle on Twitter, and you might be able to catch us. Like I said, we don't schedule this out, so I don't know if uh, you'll be able to catch us or not. Uh, most most of you are probably working when we're doing this podcast. And when we're working. Yeah, it's hard work. <laughs> this is, this very is something work. we enjoy. I don't know. If maybe some people consider it work, but um, I, I certainly think of it well, as it a lot of fun. you have to work with, I guess. Mm, it can be kind of draining sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, let's uh, talk about, first of all, as we think about this, the relationship between the signs in the book of John and the teachings of Jesus. Right, because we've got sign 4 and 5 here in John 6. Yeah. 5,000 and walking on the water. Right. And we can't really find a good example for the walking on the water, but there is a very clear connection between the feeding of the 5,000 and the first I am statement, I am the bread of life. Yeah, Not to mention some allusions back to the manna that fell in the wilderness to sustain the Israelites in the Old Testament. So, um, what these... And John, John, there there are not many, if any, parables in the book of John. Whereas you go to Matthew, mm-hmm. Mark, and Luke, you see all these parables. Um, like Matthew 13 is just full of them. And there's, there's one right after the other, and Jesus is very well known for, for the parables. Yet in the Gospel of John, no parables. But he does yeah. have these prominent signs. Now, you have miracles in the other Gospel accounts, but you have these signs in John, seven in number, that, that's not accidental. The number seven is very important, especially in John's writings. You look at the book of Revelation, for example. So John is using these, and I believe I got this from John Stott, who said John uses miracles the way the others use parables. And so the miracles serve as yeah. living parables. They, in other words, illustrate the teachings of Christ. Mm-hmm. So he feeds 5,000 with five loaves and two fish, and then he starts saying, I am the bread of life. And we're going to see that happen again and again and again, particularly with the um, healing of the man born blind yeah, and the raising of Lazarus. Mm-hmm. There are I am statements that go along with those. Yeah. And if you pay close attention, you might be able to pick out a couple of other examples. But um, I want to ask you real quick before we get into the the scene after they get over to the other side of the of the sea, yeah. and he gives the whole discourse on I am the bread of life about the connection of the walking on water. Like if you know what the what the point of that is, or what that has anything to do with. You know, how does that sign fit into what's going on here other than it just happened chronologically? I think the point is he walked on the water. Yeah. Well, there's there's in Mark chapter 6 in this account, you know, it says, They thought he was a ghost, cried out, they saw him were terrified, but he spoke to them and said, Take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. This is verse 51 of Mark 6. When he got into the boat with them, the wind ceased, and they were utterly astounded. Now, this is the part I'm curious about. For they did not understand about the loaves, but their hearts were hardened. So this is after he's walked on water. Mark says, They were utterly astounded because they did not understand about the loaves, but their hearts were hardened. So I guess my question here is, what is the connection? Why does 
you know, why I wonder why Mark calls back to, you know, it doesn't say they did not understand how he walked in the water, which is the natural thing I would assume he would say, because he just got done walking in the water and they say they were utterly astounded. But then it says, but they were astounded because they did not understand about the loaves and their hearts well, were hard. Well, here, here's what I think Mark's doing. Okay. Mark, more than the others, focuses on the miracles of Christ. His audience is Roman. Romans are impressed by power. And so, you know, if I'm a Roman and I'm reading this, my objection to this story of the walking on the water and the disciples being astounded might be, why are they surprised? They just saw the man feed 15,000 people with five loaves and two fish. Yeah. If a person can do that, what's so surprising about his walking on the water? So maybe Mark had to put that note of explanation in that their hearts had been hardened after the feeding of the 5,000. And I know that we think that would never happen with us. Mm-hmm. But it happens all the time. How many times has God answered prayer in our lives or... You know, we we see his providence in our lives, or we mm-hmm. just simply know learn something about nature, yeah, and the created world around us, and we and we conclude this cannot have ha- happened by accident, and then days later, we're already doubting, questioning God again. Yeah. So I think, you know, we think all of us think, well, if I had lived in the age of the miracles, I would never doubt. But, you know, this shows us, there are a lot of examples, you know, we'll get to Thomas in John chapter 20, where Thomas has seen all of these things, and they tell him, Jesus has risen from the dead. I won't believe it until I'm able to touch the scars in his hands and his side. So it's human nature to doubt even in the face of glaring evidence. Yeah, just like the the Jews did, the Pharisees, you know, they would... They were trying to, when they said he's doing all these things by the power of the king of demons or the prince of demons. Yeah, they didn't deny the miracle. Yeah, they tried to rationalize it. Yeah. Which I think is something similar to what a lot of us would probably do if we saw a miracle. You know, which I'd say, well, you know, know, it's just a coincidence or, well, he had something was set up and this was, you know, it wasn't a real miracle, miracle per se, but. Yeah. But I don't want to get too off topic. That's some good stuff for apply, I think. But back yeah. to, you know, where we are in John 6, this whole, I am the bread of life. All right. So, he, I connect, and I don't know if you agree with this, but I think that evolves into this very, well, hey, Jesus is, all right. So, Jesus did this thing with his teachings, and he did it with his parables, where he used them to both reveal and conceal at the same time. Mm-hmm. Or to attract and detract at the same time. Yeah. Uh, so that he explains that, that in Matthew sense. chapter 13 when his disciples ask him, why are you teaching with miracles? And he would say, so that those who have ears to hear can understand and those who don't, don't understand. Mm-hmm. And it allowed him to minister longer because if they had realized what he was doing in the beginning, the religious establishment of the day would have put him to death in his first year of ministry mm-hmm. rather than second or rather than third year of ministry. 
Um, so I think he's doing that here. I think he's ready to cut the fat. You know, he says, yeah. when the crowd comes up, he says, you're not here because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Yeah. You're following your belly, not your soul. Which is similar to language that you'll see uh, later on in First Peter, right? Where he yeah. says their God is their belly. Well, or is that Philippians? I think it's Philippians I think it's 3. something in Paul, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, right. So, he's saying this, and and then he gets to these alarming statements in 53 and through 55. Unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink His blood, you have no life in you. Mm-hmm. Now, this was very controversial, and, and there were even rumors that were spread about the early Christians in Rome at that time that, you know, they were cannibals mm-hmm. because of this statement and also because of the observance of the Lord's Supper mm-hmm. on the first day of every week where Christians eat unleavened bread representing the body of Christ and drink the fruit of the vine representing the blood of Christ. And, you know, the Romans and maybe others that didn't understand would just say, you know, they're eating bodies and drinking blood. And, mm-hmm. you know, enemies who had a bone to pick would, would you know, intentionally misconstrue that to others and spread yeah. this rumor. And we have it on record. I'm not going to get the, you know, quotes out. But there there's a record of these, you know, beliefs about Christians that, that they thought they were cannibals and charge them with incest and a lot of other things, atheism and all kinds of things. Mm-hmm. So um, this does not mean cannibalism, obviously, because Jesus, there's a chapter 7. Yeah. This isn't yeah. the last chapter in John. That is you know, true. It doesn't end with, and so they killed him and ate him, and this and is the gospel eternally. of Jesus Christ. Yeah. yeah, And they lived eternally. He's, it's not a cult with cannibalism or anything like that. It's not the Eucharist either. It's not the Lord's Supper. Now, the Roman Catholic Church teaches the doctrine of transubstantiation, which says, you know, the the unleavened bread okay. uh, becomes the body of Christ, actually becomes the body of Christ, and the fruit of the vine in the cases where they administer why. it. I, yes, I, be, I believe this is one of the proof texts that they use for that okay. doctrine, along with some tradition. Um I don't believe that's true either. And I've heard people yeah, in our own that. fellowship, the Churches of Christ, say the same thing. You know, they, you know, men will get up before the Lord's Supper and read a passage of Scripture. And sometimes they read from Matthew 26, where Jesus institutes the Lord's Supper, or 1 Corinthians 11, where Paul is talking about it. And then, you know, they're like, well, I've got to get a new passage in the circulation here. And they go over to John chapter 6, and they read this because, after all, he's talking about eating his body and drinking his blood mm-hmm. and having eternal life and um, I have several problems with that position Yeah. Um, first and foremost can you attain eternal life simply by eating the Lord's Supper that's a good point I, I mean because I mean, you, could, you could give somebody the bread or cracker or whatever you have and then the grape juice and that just, it's not like the Holy Grail. You know, you drink it and you have eternal life. Right. Also, there is what he said before that. 
which we always tend to jump, you know, down to the passage that we're talking about and read it out of context. Yeah, about Moses. Well, I'm thinking about Red verses 44 words. and following. Yeah. Now look at look at what he says to Now this is in the section where he's responding to the religious establishment. John identifies them as Jews, but really everybody here is a Jew. So this is the enemies of Christ. He said, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. Raise him up on the last day is the equivalent of eternal life, is it not? Yeah. So we know that whatever he's doing to raise a person up on the last day is the same thing as eating the body and blood of Jesus. Mm-hmm. If we put this in context. You follow me so far? Yeah. Okay. Now, a lot of people get hung up on this, the Father draws him. Nobody can come to me unless the Father draws him. And they read into that a miraculous encounter where God, you know, intuitively uh, pulls you towards him or miraculously pulls you to him. Mm-hmm. So that's another problem with this text as well. which is going to be taken care of by verse 45. Look Mm -hmm. at verse 45. It is written in the prophets, and they will all be taught by God. Mm -hmm. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Now, remember he's talking about drawing a person, coming to Jesus, and Mm -hmm. the Father does that. And in verse 45, he explains exactly how the Father does that, through teaching. Yeah, everyone who has learned from the Father comes to me. Yes. Yeah. So, not so everyone has seen the Father. By some supernatural, like, predestination, I'm going to pick you to follow me, but you're, you guys I'm not going to pick. Right. It's He draws people into him by the teaching that's coming here from Jesus, really. Right. Now, he... He also says that in verse 47 in a different way. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Mm-hmm. Okay, whoever believes has eternal life. So, here's the way it works. Let's, let's handle both the problems. Problem number one, how does the Father draw people? Does he draw them miraculously, intuitively? No, he draws them through teaching Whoever hears and learns comes to me. That's answered in the text. Mm-hmm. Okay. Problem number two. What does he mean when he says, eat my blood and drink my flesh? I mean, <laughs> eat my flesh and drink my blood. Yeah. You know, is that literal? Well, of course not. You know, it's not cannibalism. Is it the Lord's Supper? I don't think so because he says, whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life. Mm-hmm. And here he says... Whoever is taught by God, whoever hears, whoever learns, uh, I will raise him up at the last day. Whoever believes has eternal life. So we have to make faith in Jesus equivalent or parallel to eating the flesh and drinking the blood of Jesus. Mm -hmm. Or learning his teachings and consuming them. Do we not use the same figure of speech when we say, I digested that book? Yeah. So he's saying, digest me through my word, my teachings, make it a part of your heart, hide it in your heart, and that is how you get to eternal life. Yeah, I think he's obviously making 
a draw back to you. In verse 49, he's referring to something they've already referred to earlier in this little discussion. But he says, Your father ate the manna in the wilderness. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, and they died. And so, yeah. you know, they're saying. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's a good. Yeah. And I think they're looking for, I think it's pretty obvious. They tried to make him a king. Uh, they're asking him for well, we've bread. We've got to talk about that, yeah. And they say, uh, you know, they kind of almost, you can see almost a little challenge in here. What do you do? This is verse 30. What do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread to eat from heaven. So, you know, there was a sign, and they attribute that sign to Moses. And they try and kind of quote Nehemiah 9.15 is what it is. And they attribute it to Moses, but it's actually in Nehemiah, uh, they're talking about God himself. Uh, this is in a prayer where he says, uh, you gave us bread to eat. He's praying to God, and he says, you gave us the bread to eat. So they attribute it to God in Nehemiah. But here it almost looks like they're saying, look, Moses gave us bread back then. Uh, so what are you going to do to prove to us from your, or prove to us that you're from God? Are you going to keep giving us bread? Are you going to mm-hmm. keep... Uh, feeding us like Moses did them. And I really think Jesus kind of makes his point later to his disciples about I'm not telling you guys to eat my body and to drink my blood. This is something spiritual. Uh, In verse 63, uh, well, it's back up to verse 61. He says, do you take offense at this? Then what if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words I have spoken to you are spirit and life. Now that's one that I missed. So he is. But proving. in verse sixty-three, there he goes again. Words that I've spoken are life, mm-hmm. are spirit and life. So obviously, life being not the equivalent to cannibalism. with eternal. Yeah, life is the equivalent to eternal life. Life is the equivalent of I'll raise him up the last day. Mm-hmm. So it's words, it's learning, it's teaching, it's hearing. That's what he means by eating my flesh and drinking my blood. So, mm-hmm. I don't think that it is a proper use of this text to read it before the Lord's Supper. Yeah. No. I, don't, I don't think it... This you is know, not... I'm not going to throw a shoe at somebody if they do that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> because I, I get what they're doing, but it's not it's not what this text is talking about. Yeah, this text is talking about... Jesus is drawing on... Because the crowd really brings it up. He's drawing on... The your fathers ate the bread in the wilderness. They died. I am giving you bread from heaven, which the manna was. I am the bread of heaven. And so now I am the bread of life. If you listen to my teachings, you're going to have eternal life. Just like the woman at the well with the living water. He's obviously not talking about any real kind of water. Uh, he's talking about a very spiritual thing, and he proves it over here. He says, what I... The spirit is what gives life. The flesh is no help at all. So if you guys eat my flesh, that's not going to give you life. If you take a bite out of me right now, it's not going to give you life. The spirit is who gives life, and the words I have for you are spirit and life. Now, let me ask you a question. We divided that teaching part of this chapter after the two signs into Mm -hmm. Jesus announcing I'm the bread of life to the crowds, Mm -hmm. his announcing it to the Jews, is announcing it to the disciples. Yeah. Out of all of those people, who is the one person who got what Jesus was saying? Uh, one person that understood it. Jesus? 
besides him? Um, Verse 68. You think it's Peter? It's Peter. Okay. He says, you have the words of eternal life. Yeah. So he got it. He gets it. And we have believed, and he talks about yeah. the work the work of God is to believe in the one whom he has sent. And so right. What he says, we have believed and come to know that you are the Holy One of God. So that he's saying we're doing the works of God that you mentioned just a few minutes ago, or maybe a few hours ago. I don't know how long that discussion would have lasted. But yeah, okay. I see that. I'm still a little bit skeptical about So I, about I think Peter. that's the key, though, verse 68 and 69. Yeah. I think it's the key to the whole chapter. It's what it's about. Peter yeah. got it. I'm still a little skeptical, skeptical that he knows exactly what the Holy One of God means. Well, I think you're prejudiced towards what? Peter. <laughs> Do you think he really understands that Jesus is like a... He's not a military leader at this point. He is, he is going to die because later he's going to say to Jesus, you know, basically... Well, he's talking about eternal life. You're not going to die. About, you know, Jesus says my hour has come. You know, pretty much I'm about to die. Well, I think Peter was definitely mixed up on some things, including how the crucifixion played into, you know, Jesus' mission. Mm-hmm. But I think he's got this, that belief in Jesus and in his teachings will lead to eternal life. Yeah, I think he's got that down. Now, he may point. think that's without me having to die. He mm-hmm. may think that means Jesus is going to be a political king. Yeah, that's my point. I'm, think, I'm thinking he's got a good understanding here, but I don't think he's got his mind wrapped around the whole thing yet. No. That's, that's all may, I'm trying to say. Pr- probably not. Let's yeah. back up. But I do agree that he understands what Jesus is teaching here. I think, you know, what you pointed out in verse 68 and 69 pretty much solidifies the fact that Peter understands what Jesus is trying to teach about. If you have my words, you have eternal life. Yeah. Because he says as much in 68 and 69. Yeah. And we've belabored that point, you know, yeah. to, the, to death. Um, man, we're running out of time, uh, as always. Mm-hmm. So let's go back up to verses 14 and 15. Because, just real quickly, we'll, we'll make this point. You know, at our church, Ashville Road Church of Christ, we've been in a congregation-wide study on prophets, priests, and kings. Mm-hmm. And here, they declared Jesus a prophet and a king in two verses. So I think it's pretty important as it pertains to, to this. But in both cases, nothing happens. In fact, in one case, Jesus fights it. He refuses to be made king. Mm-hmm. So after he feeds the 5,000, people are impressed enough to see the sign and say, this is indeed the prophet who is to come into the world. And I think because we're running low on time, we should just point out that they're, they are making reference to a prophecy in Deuteronomy chapter 18 where Moses says, God is going to send a prophet like me. Mm-hmm. And he's going to... You know, it's a messianic prophecy. Which definitely makes sense with their reference back to Moses later when they go across the other side of the sea and start talking to him. So they're connecting him with Moses. That's not all that bad. But then, verse 15, John says, Perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. Now, Christ, Messiah, that means king. Mm-hmm. So, why didn't he accept their offer to make him king? I think it's because what you're going to read later 
in John where Jesus is talking to Pilate and Pilate says, are you a king? And he says, well, you have said so. And then he says to him, you know, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would be fighting. But yeah. the implication there is they're not because I'm not. And that's in John 18. This is exactly right. Mm-hmm. Good job. All right. Let's break. When we come back, we'll tie this all together with some practical applications. This is the third section of our podcast, Apply, where we try to draw some practical lessons from the things that we've been talking about. Kind of delved into some deep waters there with uh, that enigmatic statement of Jesus. So Mm -hmm. let's back it up a little bit and try to get a little more practical. And I'll let you start, you know, with the the first one you have from the miracle of the feeding of the 5,000. Yeah, I think the first thing naturally here is going to be what Jesus does with just that little amount of food. You know, he takes just the five loaves and two fish, and his disciples aren't really sure, at least Philip. This might be thinking too much or reading too much into it, but I'm going to assume the rest of them also are a little skeptical about what Jesus can do with all these people, maybe 15,000, and just five loaves and two fish. Uh, But the point here, I think, is that Jesus can do a lot with a little bit. Uh, Revelation 3, uh, when he's talking to the church at Philadelphia, uh, he says, I know that you have but little power, and yet you have endured. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think the point here is that Jesus can use little power. And the application there is for us, you know, I think it's really easy for us to see all of the the things out in the world uh, that we need to overcome. You know, we, we're charged with take the gospel into all creation. Uh, there's all these kinds of things going on in our own nation and all across the world that, you know, Christians really should be impacting. And we look at ourselves and say, well, what am I among so many? Yeah. You know, what can be done yeah. with me? So Andrew's statement is, not not you, but the <laughs> apostle, what are these among so many? Yeah. You could you could change that. What? Who am I among so many? Yeah, exactly. And, uh, you know, I think there's a great lesson there, like you said, that God can take a little bit and make yeah. something big out of it. And it doesn't matter... How big or important you are, what matters is how big and important God is. Exactly. So God can do a lot with, with very little. Yeah, and I think you to kind of close this out, I think you can see that with Paul at the end of Second Corinthians when he's talking about his thorn in the flesh in chapter mm-hmm. 12. And then the answer he gets after he prays three times, take this away from me, is my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Mm-hmm. And that's where Paul says, you know, I am, I will boast all the more gladly. I am fine, I am content with hardships, with persecutions, with calamities, with weakness. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Yeah. And so I think, yeah, the power, it doesn't depend on how strong we are. It depends on how strong Christ is. I mean, the weakness and the, the smallness, and uh, there's so many examples like Gideon, mm-hmm. you know, is there to glor- to bring more glory to God. Yeah. I mean, when it's small, when it gets small enough, then there can be no question whose power is at work. Yeah, 
So uh, that's important. Uh, secondly, bring people to Jesus. That's the second lesson. And we get it from our man, Andrew, mm-hmm. who is seen a second time here, second of three times in the Gospel of John. And as I said before, all three times he's in some way bringing people to Jesus. Whenever a problem is brought up to Andrew, his answer to the problem is, well, let's take it to Jesus. So he meets Jesus. He goes and gets his brother Peter, brings him to Jesus. Mm -hmm. Uh, He doesn't really think there's anything to this. He doesn't understand. But he did find five loaves and two fish. So even doubting, he brought the young man to Jesus. Yeah. And then the Greeks, you know, Philip... (laughs) Philip's involved again where he's like, these guys are casting out, is it casting demons out? Or they, No, these Greeks, non-Jews, want mm-hmm. to see Jesus. Mm-hmm. So uh, Andrew says, okay, well, let's take him to Jesus. <laughs> so every time you see Andrew, he's taking people to Jesus. Good example for us to follow. Oh, yeah. And especially when, you know, we might not be sure. Uh, I think it's interesting, you know, he's like, well, I don't know if you're going to have enough for him to work with, but... You know, I'm, I'm, we'll, we'll see what it can do with it. Yeah. And so kind of there, I guess, a little application for me is, you know, if there's something I'm not, if there's a question or something that I'm not sure about, instead of pointing people in my direction and kind of giving them my answer, mm-hmm. take them to Jesus instead. Yeah. Take them to the Word instead, and let's see what Jesus has to say rather than what I have to say myself. Yeah, that's good. All right, let's get to the I Am statement. Two yeah. applications on that. I am the bread of life. Now, um, we'll probably return to this, but in every one of those statements, there is a lesson about Jesus' divinity because it starts with, I am. And we'll really get into this in John 8, so I won't say a whole lot about it. But I am is the name of God. It's the name God gave Moses at the burning bush in Exodus Mm -hmm. chapter 3. I am who I am. It means I exist. I'm eternal. So he's, you know, to use a theological term, Jesus is declaring his eternality here in this statement. But there's more along with it. It's packaged together in such a way that it delivers that punch, that I am divine, in a subtle way. But then the the second application from it is, he's the bread of life, which we Mm -hmm. explored in the Think section having to do with, you know, how Jesus' bread is his teaching, his word, the truth about himself. So believing him, trusting him, and obeying him, which I think is all tied up in the work of God, which is faith, Mm -hmm. which he said in verse 29, uh, that that is the the key to eternal life. Yeah. So that's applications number three and four. Uh, the last one that I had is that Jesus isn't popular. You know, he's yeah. popular maybe initially, but when you get down to who he is and what he expects and the sacrifices demanded by him, he's not popular. You know, he had many following him up to this point. Yeah. But after he starts this talk about eating his flesh and drinking his blood, verse sixty tells or verse sixty six tells us that many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. No longer, that was it. They quit following him. And mm-hmm. even, you know, turned to the twelve and suspected yeah. maybe some of them. And, of course, he would lose Judas in a really bad way. He would lose all of them at the cross, 
except John seems to have come back and was there. So yeah. Jesus is not popular. If you are a Christian and you are expecting to be accepted because you're a Christian, you need to get that out of your head. Yeah. Because Jesus, the real Jesus, is not popular. Now there's pop Jesus out there. Yeah, like that's the, really popular. Yeah, and I think you, you can know. even see evidence of that in John. You know, we started off and we got to chapter the halfway through chapter four, and everybody at this point, most people still like Jesus. He gets to Galilee, verse forty five of chapter four, the Galileans welcomed him, having seen all they had done having after having seen all they had done in Jerusalem at the feast. But then, from this point on... But they didn't know who he was Exactly. Yet. That's the point I'm trying yeah. to make. They saw the front end. They saw him healing everybody, kind of you know, getting mad at the guys in the temple that were selling stuff and kind of taking advantage of people and making them pay too much money. They loved that part. You know, heal me. Uh, don't let these people take advantage of me financially. That's Feed great. Feed me. Yeah. Entertain me. Yeah. And they loved him. But when he starts making these statements, okay, now, you know, I'm not here for this physical stuff. I'm really here for this spiritual stuff because the spirit that gives life, the flesh gives no life at all. So you guys need to uh, listen to my teachings, obey my teachings. And then when we get to chapter 8, that statement that he's going to make, that people pick up rocks to throw at him. Because now, you know, now the crowds have totally gone from, oh, we love him, we love him, to now... Let's pick up rocks and kill him. Yeah. Because they don't want the real Jesus. They want, like you're saying, you know, like now people want pop Jesus. The Jesus that, well, if you'll send me $1,000, Jesus will send you 5000 this week. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's that about wraps it up. That's all the yep. time that we got. Thank you for joining us, whether it's through Meerkat, which is really... You know, an interesting thing. We'll see if we continue to do that. Or through the podcast, which most of our listeners know us through. Uh, mm-hmm. Check us out on the web at the66.net for past episodes and information about what's going on. Twitter handle, of course, is the66podcast. That's where the next time we do Meerkat, we'll, we'll let you know. And we yep. also try to publicize when new episodes go up. Subscribe to us through iTunes. We really need some more reviews. Yep. We need at least ratings so we can get up in the um, in the searches. Um, we're still way behind when uh, people search for us. So uh, give us a little feedback. You can reach me at dkaiser at arcoc.com or andrew at akingsley at arcoc.com. Let us know what you think about uh, the podcast or the Meerkat feed, and uh, we'll, we'll uh, enjoy hearing back from you. Next time, we're going to get into John chapter 7, learn a little bit about Jesus' family, and uh, see some opposition rise up. So I hope uh, that you're planning to join us in.